Uh, Happy New Year, everyone, and welcome again to Chapel Hill. Uh, As Amy mentioned, we're starting a new series called Meals with Jesus. And um, in the spirit of eating together, as Amy mentioned, we're going to go out to Penny Lane to have lunch together. And if you're new with us today, I understand how daunting it can be to visit a new church. So we want to make it uh, your visit to feel like home. And so we want to shout your lunch. We'd love for you to join us uh, for lunch. So there is such thing as a free lunch. Um, it's our way of saying welcome. And so in this series, we're going to look at the spiritual significance of sharing a meal together from the Bible. And what we see in the life of Jesus from the Gospel of Luke is that the Christian church really started around a table. The dining table was where the people of Jesus met frequently. The gospel, you can say, was spread from table to table, from one home to another, all over meals. And as we think about our own dining table, it's such an ordinary place, isn't it? It's so routine, so everyday. It's so easily overlooked as a place where people can feel loved, a place where people can feel heard, a place where God's message can be shared and a place where the Spirit can move. See, in the life of Jesus, we see that meals are more than just nourishment. Meals bring people together and meals speak of his great love and welcome of all people. And this is exactly what we see in this first story about Jesus at Levi's dinner party. You might be asking, who is Levi? We'll read about him in verse 27. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything and followed him. We read that Levi was a tax collector, but not in the sense that we might imagine him to be, like an employee of the ATO perhaps, but he was working as a toll booth collector. So if you ever remember the days, the days where there was no e-tags, where there was actually people working in toll booths on the Harbour Bridge, that was Levi's job. Levi was collecting toll taxes for the Roman Empire on all the major roads. But people absolutely hated tax collectors because the Roman Empire had allowed tax collectors to charge more than required toll. So if, say, the the toll was $10, tax collectors could charge $15 or whatever they wanted. And no one would challenge them because the tax collectors had the whole entire Roman Empire behind them. And so if you were a tax collector, you were considered as a complete lowlife, an absolute scum in society. But A lot of people get into that career because it was a very lucrative job, as you can imagine. And so Jesus turns up to Levi's booth, and rather than pay the toll, he says, follow me. And you would expect that Levi, as a tax collector, he would have dealt with all sorts of people trying to get away from paying the toll. You would think that he's a pretty kind of firm kind of man, a man that is able to get people to pay the toll but he doesn't try to put Jesus in his place. He doesn't try to get Jesus to cough up the toll money. Instead, we read that he left everything and followed Jesus. 
Levi decides to give up everything, to give up his very lucrative job as a tax collector to be a disciple of Jesus. See, Levi shows us that there is something greater, something more important, more satisfying than just having a great pay packet, which is to be a disciple of Jesus, to live a life his way and for his mission. And it's clear that he took steps to be a disciple of Jesus without sorrow and grief or remorse of giving up such a great job. No, we get the sense that Jesus, uh, Levi followed willingly and joyfully because he had a massive dinner party as a celebration for Jesus. Read on verse 29, then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. See, Levi was so excited. He was so stoked that Jesus would actually choose him to be his disciple. And as a response, he held a massive banquet for Jesus. Jesus as the honored guest of his house party. He opens up his home to his friends, his workmates, his other tax collector mates, and others to introduce them, his friends, to Jesus. See, Levi uses his home He puts on a feast to bring the message of Jesus to his friends. And here, this is where we get a very important insight in this episode of the joy in the Christian life. Levi's response shows to us that joy in Jesus sparks an evangelistic zeal. Joy in Jesus sparks an evangelistic zeal. Joy in the Christian life is not about having this inward joy, inward peace in following Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. Joy in the Christian life is intrinsically expressed with an outward zeal to want to share your relationship with Jesus with others. You are so overjoyed, so impassioned by Jesus that you can't help but want everyone to know, for everyone that you know to also be a disciple of Jesus with you. Leslie Newbigin, a Christian missiologist, writes, mission begins with a kind of explosion of joy. The news that the rejected and crucified Jesus is alive is something that cannot be suppressed. It must be told. Who could be silent about such a fact? At the heart of mission is thanksgiving and praise. He writes, mission is an acted out doxology. Mission is acted out worship. He says that is the deeper secret. The deeper secret is that mission is acted out doxology. Joy in Jesus sparks an evangelistic zeal. And there's many that I've spoken to in the turn of the new year, people wanting to make their New Year's resolution to find greater joy, greater love in Jesus. And the thing is, our preconceived images of what that could look like seems to be those images of having those mountaintop experiences, of having this great solitude with God, those Instagram feeds where they're on top of, I don't know, Swiss Alps, groovy backpack, looking out into creation. That seems to be an image of joy in God. Or another image is having that very personal moment as you worship God through music. And those are all valid ways to experience joy in God, but Levi gives us a very different image. He gives us a very different picture of joyful worship. 
what we see is that he's worshipping and celebrating Jesus in his home, not on the mountaintop. He is with others, not by himself. And he's not just wanting to get closer to Jesus for himself privately, he's also inviting and introducing his non-believing friends publicly for them to also meet and get close to Jesus at the same time. And I think this is a beautiful image of Christian joy, of Christian mission. If there is one word image that I want to fuel our church for our devotion to God and devotion to his mission this year, it's Levi's banquet. It's celebration and evangelism. It's devotion that naturally leads to mission. It's mission acted out, doxology. It's mission as worship. So when we meet together this week in community groups to share a meal, don't think of it as just as fruitful fellowship, but it's also worship. As we eat together, it's a celebration of our shared life in Jesus together. It's, it's a moment of worship. Our Sunday services is not just for Christians, it's for everyone. Anyone is welcome to taste and see Jesus. So this year, we'll be organizing more connection events which are other events, other spaces for our friends to connect with our church community. Think of that as a joyful act of celebration as we're intentionally wanting to share the good news with our friends. We're gonna have more opportunities to introduce our friends to Jesus as we celebrate doing life with Jesus because real joy in Jesus sparks an evangelistic zeal. But as we read, there's some who don't share in Levi's joy. The Pharisees are not happy about this dinner party. And the problem that the Pharisees have is not so much with the party, but with the guest list. Verse 30. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belong to their sect complain to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? In many Eastern cultures, there's this concept of table fellowship. In these cultures, being welcomed at the table, at the dining table to share food, was richly symbolic of friendship and intimacy. And so Luke describes Jesus having table fellowship with tax collectors and others. But the Pharisees refer to them as tax collectors and sinners. It's very clear what the Pharisees are thinking. The Pharisees complain because they see that these sinners as not measuring up to the standard of purity expected for a rabbi to have fellowship with. The Pharisees believe that to get a spot at God's table, you have to earn it. They believe that to have fellowship with God and his people, you have to earn your place by doing good things, by keeping yourself pure. They believe that it's by your righteous acts that gets you a spot at God's table. But Jesus flips the Pharisees' view of table fellowship. Verse 31, Jesus answered them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. See, the healthy, they won't seek a doctor because they think that there's nothing wrong with them. Only the sick will seek out a doctor. And so likewise, the righteous, the Pharisees, they won't seek Jesus because they don't think that there's anything wrong with them. Only sinners 
only those who recognize that they can never measure up, they can never earn their spot at God's table, it's only those who will seek Jesus. And so Jesus comes to call sinners to repentance. Jesus doesn't come to sinners and tell them, hey guys, pull up your socks, work harder at being righteous, earn more purity in order to earn your friendship with God. Instead, he comes to sinners telling them to simply be honest, to confess their sin to him and seek out his grace and forgiveness. Jesus turns the world of religious people upside down. See, the meal with Jesus that day at Levi's place shows us that table fellowship is not earned through your righteousness, but it's granted by repenting of your sin. Jesus comes for the losers. He comes for the people at the margins. He comes for people who have messed up their life. He comes for people who are just ordinary. Jesus comes for you and I. And at Jesus' table, he welcomes all people no matter what you've done, and Jesus offers you and I a gracious invitation to an eternal banquet, an eternal friendship with him, to share with his people a banquet of joyful celebration and worship with Jesus and for Jesus forever. And this invitation is open to all through Jesus' death and resurrection. At the cross, Jesus bore our sins so that by repentance and faith, we can be forgiven of our sins. Removing that barrier to our fellowship with God, we no longer need to earn a seat at God's table, but by grace, Jesus has bought our seat at the cost of his life. Will you accept Jesus' gracious invitation? You can just come as you are, You really don't need to bring anything. You can just come to Jesus as you are. There's one thing that's changed since being married. When I was single, I never really thought when I got invited to dinner parties to have to bring anything. But now that I'm married to a very considerate, kind woman, she's always asking, we should bring something, we should bring something. But Jesus, his invitation to his banquet, he says, no, you don't need to bring anything. You can come to Jesus just as you are. Please join me in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your son Jesus, who by his death and resurrection offers us grace and forgiveness of our sins, our gracious invitation to fellowship with you. Help us to not be left out by our self-righteousness and our self-importance. Help us to repent to turn to Jesus, to be saved from our sin as we seek greater joy in Jesus. May we spark an explosion of passion and zeal to share our faith, to share our relationship with Jesus with our friends. As we remember Levi's joy in celebrating Jesus and inviting his mate to the banquet that points to your eternal banquet of everlasting joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.